Welcome to the Leadership Pulse, where we talk about everything related to healthcare culture, leadership, and burnout. Today is our first episode, so we're so excited that you joined us. My name is Becky Wolf, and with me I have Jessica Zampedri. We are so excited just for this inaugural episode and to start you off with a little bit about us and how we feel about healthcare culture, where it's headed, and just discussion around burnout. We're going to spend today talking about how we came to start a podcast. We're thrilled that you joined us. I'm Jessica Zampetri. So my background is a little bit all over the place. I've been in healthcare sales in one way or the other my entire career. So at first it was pharma, then biotech, and in the med tech space. And so I have gotten really the close-up of working with surgeons and MDs throughout my entire career. And before COVID, you would just hear stories of how much burnout was affecting them, how much there was so much snafus in the leadership and being able to observe it from an outside perspective, but being in the mix was definitely eye-opening. We would hear things all the time when you had a really good doctor where the staff would be like, give him five years. He'll be just like the rest of them in that time. And it's one of those things that just, if you care, it really hurts your heart. And I've always said that medical sales, we get burnt out because you get to see all of these things and you're pretty much left with a few options. Just do it and make a ton of money, leave the field after you make a ton of money and get out of there as fast as you can, or partner with the MDs and the clinicians and the individuals in the space and try to change it. So that's how I met Becky through a happenstance LinkedIn post. (laughs) LinkedIn has this way of connecting people that never should have met in the first place. And I love it. So I'm so grateful that I met you, Jess. And I I love the endeavor that we're taking on here. A little bit about my background. So I'm a physician assistant. I've been a PA for over 16 years. Can't believe that it's been that long, but started my career in ER, then transferred to cardiology, became a health coach just because was frustrated with the scope of medicine, honestly, was tired of treating patients for high blood pressure when they didn't want to be on medications and didn't have a lot of a lot of ways to help them other than educating myself on how to get into their habits with them and help them along the behaviors that could lead them to success and getting off medications, getting healthy, which is what they wanted. That was the spiral for me that really changed the trajectory of my career. I ended up becoming a certified leadership coach after that, just really diving into even more holistically how to help someone with understanding their personality and leading them to change that they had wanted, but they just didn't know how to get to. So that's how I got into executive leadership coaching. I now specialize in helping teams that are burned out move forward or on the other end of the spectrum, I help to maximize team performance and those that feel healthy and ready to innovate and thrive. So that's a little bit about me. And we have this question that we want to start off with each of our podcast interviews with. And it really is just this question of if there is one thing you could shout from the rooftops that you want every person in healthcare to hear about culture, burnout or medicine in general, what would that be? Jess, I'm going to ask you that question. So what if you could shout anything from the rooftops right now that you want anybody in healthcare to hear, what would that be? I think it's that financials are not your leading indicator. We like to lead with the financials and the revenues of a facility and think that there are leading indicators. In other industries, they are. But healthcare is about people. It's about human experiences. It's the most vulnerable time in a person's lives, and it is the one industry where literally no one wants to be your client. 
And so with that, you can't lead with financial. These come first and shows that if you have employee engagement, you will have so much more on the back end. They're going to come up with creative solutions. They're going to help you solve. They're going to raise their hand and want to do things. And so employees first, which then goes into your patient engagement, you're going to have more patients. Your patient experience is going to be better. And then it's the financials. So your financials are your lagging, but everyone likes to look at them first. And it's you're not leading, you're doing math at that point. Mm -hmm. And when you have more employee engagement, another huge important point of it is that you need clinicians in the mix. They've got to be part of your leadership team. They have such a huge perspective from all the years of schooling and being in depth that they will have solutions that are going to be way better than someone with an MBA or just sitting in a C-suite. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. I get this question. So I'm meeting with different organizations and things. So from your perspective, what do you think it looks like to have an engaged employee? So what does that look like? Or how would you even go about the process of helping somebody find out if somebody is engaged or if their workforce is engaged? So I think one huge part of it is employee engagement surveys that you actually pay attention to, not that you just do to make everyone feel happy, pat on the back, and then throw it away. Because those emotional rapport and emotional things within there are huge. Yes, that's not going to be a data number thing, but if you are doing the survey right and if you have created a psychologically safe place for people to express those ideas and concerns, that is going to be your number one indicator of where do we even start? That and honestly getting on the floor. I think most C-suite and boardroom individuals have no idea what's happening on the floor and they don't spend enough time in that space. Yeah. Yeah. Two things off of that. And I want to go into maybe a recent post that I saw on LinkedIn from you, but I equate it to the PHQ-9. So this is like more I'm sending people to therapy when you're talking about culture, because it's not something you can tangibly do a lot of results on the front end with. Like you said, it's not a, the financials are not like a leading indicator that's going to be coming on the back end of things. But when I think about engagement surveys, I think of, okay, this is the first step of doing a PHQ-9 for depression for a patient. So I'm doing this baseline. And then if I see them in six months and maybe they're on a medication, maybe they're just going to counseling. I should see some change. I should see something improve with that patient, but it's more subjective. It's not anything that's objective. There's no way to get objective data from that patient at that point. There's no chemical that I'm checking. It's just very subjective whether or not they're feeling better. So I equate it to that. And I think in medicine, there's this, we really want the hard facts. We want the data. This percentage of the population should be experiencing that, but they're not. People are just different. And there's not one blood pressure medication that fixes blood pressure for everybody. So that's the the piece that comes to mind when you're talking about that. And then the other piece, I love what you said about the C-suite getting on the floor because it is, it's super frustrating at this point being in a hospital or office setting and it feels like there's no communication. It feels like nobody's talking to each other. People are going in different directions. I know you've had some experiences recently like that, but what are some tangible things? So getting on the floor. So what might that look like for somebody to actually go and do something about that? It's literally canceling meetings and getting on the floor ASAP. And I think so much of the C-suites or the board of directors, you can't be everywhere anytime. 
So you've got to like time block for it. You've got to be on the floor in all of your revenue generating ones, your orthopedics, your neuro, your trauma, your ER. You've got to get that patient experience and you've got to get the culture right. You're not going to know what is happening if you're just in the IV tire or in the wardrobe. And I think once you start building the trust there that you're actually like, I'm here, everyone knows what I look like, I'm seeing, and you're actually driving change, that's, you need a team of teams approach. You've got to have clinical leads because you can't be on the floor every single day. So you've got to pass off the bit somewhere, but also ensure like when you do that, you're now not on the floor again ever where it's a combination of both, but it is literally getting on the floor and curiously listening and observing, yeah. more listening than talking and actually truly listening to learn. Yeah, that psychologic safety piece is so crucial and curiosity, why are things happening the way they are? Taking emotion out of it is a huge piece to that. That way everybody feels like, hey, we can just go in a better direction. It's not anything that you're doing specifically. It's hey, how do we work together as a team to move things forward? I love yeah. that. Yeah, I love that. And when you get on the floor, you're going to see, if you're observing or curious at all, you're going to see bottlenecks and you're going to see all of these things. And then in that instance, I love the five whys where you're asking, why is this in a system? And then you're asking it four more times. Because by the fifth time, you're usually getting down to the actual why that it's there versus the, hey, why are we taking so long on OR turnover? And then the first one is a blame game or because so-and-so didn't do this, et cetera. By the time you ask it four more times, you're usually getting down to a why that you can fix. Yeah, it's so specific at that point. So this is actionable. We can actually do something about it. Yeah, I love that. Awesome. So now back at you, Becky, if you could shout it from the rooftops to healthcare, what is one thing that you wish that they could really know about culture, leadership, or burnout? Gosh, I mean, there are so many different things, so many directions. I feel like I could go with this, but based on recent conversations, it has to do with like retention at this point. Retention is a huge issue and burnout is a major issue. And the last couple of years, there's been, people have just been under so much emotional stress and asking them to do more that's not in their wheelhouse is not going to get the results that you want. You can task people with retention solutions or tasking them with department solutions for coming up with retention. But honestly, often they don't know what that even looks like. They're like, well, I need a problem to solve for retention. What's, how are they going to go find that by themselves? There's no unity. And from there, people are just stuck doing so many different things. So when I think about capacity, having the right people there and retention, you really have to go through communication and relationships first. So it's that psychologic safety piece first, and it's really building out culture that focuses on that and health and mental health and making that a priority. But you can't get to solving burnout. And honestly, solving burnout is not even the end goal. You're always going to deal with it to some degree, but to reduce the amount of turnover and to retain your best people, it really starts with communication. So you have to step back in order to move forward. People are just scrambling, honestly, right now with trying to find solutions within departments. People just feel even more stuck and they feel like it's on them to do it without having any resources to do it. And then there's more pressure created. So 
that was just a conversation I had with somebody over the weekend. And that has to feel terrible. That has to feel like you're getting even more thrown at you. And there's just all this additional pressure that doesn't need to be there. So in order to move forward, just realizing where you're at and being willing to take a step forward after potentially taking a step back as necessary, but finding resources together also. Don't create this silo mentality. That's Don't worsen it, I would say, because I think it's already there. But I would say don't worsen it. Allow people to get the resources they need and give options. So that would be my, my current thing. <laughs> Going off of that, one of the things that resonates is this whole stepping backward to go forward. And we're so instant gratification. We want change now, but we're at a point of healthcare where that would have needed to happen 10 years ago if we wanted to be in a different spot. Mm -hmm. So with that whole stepping back, that is a huge endeavor for a facility. How do you do it if you're so far into this burnout culture hole, you're bleeding out staff and all of these things, how? Yeah, that's a great question. Honestly, so when I look at healthcare, in the often there's a training piece that goes to it instead of the development piece I posted on this morning, but we're so quick to just add knowledge without reinforcement. The biggest piece that I see to this too is that nurses are on the floor to take care of people and clinicians like surgeons are doing surgery and what are they making the time for this development to happen? And often that's the thing I hear that's the biggest barrier to change is time. What if we don't do anything about it though? I pose that question a lot. What if we do nothing? What happens? Is that going to create time for you? <laughs> is that going to create any shift of thing, anything getting better? No, it's not. So honestly, the first touch of the solution here is working with the people who have the most time, whether that's clinical managers, team leads, whether that's the clinicians that just create that time, but creating the time is necessary. It's necessary right now. Because if you don't, time is never, it's not going to get better. It's just not. So I don't see that's going to improve. If I look at the scope of work that I'm doing and the people that I'm working with, a lot of them don't have time, but they're like, I really know that we need this though. So we have to put it into the budget of our time to make this work. And that's, in my opinion, that's the right approach to take of how do we actually create the time because it's more necessary now than it's ever been. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And I goes a lot smoother when you have at least a little bit of a better culture. So team building, fun, something to break that iceberg because it's really hard on a culture end to throw so many more things when you don't feel cared about, where you don't feel heard and seen and all of these things. There's just, there's many components to it. There are. Yeah. Yeah. And to your point, when you're getting together with your team, And let's say, hypothetically, it's the managers that are doing the work first, the clinical managers. They have to have safety within their clinical management team in order to project that down for that to scale. So anytime you can create this dropping of a barrier, so it's self-awareness, it is emotional intelligence, so it is understanding who you are, what it's like to be on the other side of you, and then the emotional intelligence piece of somebody else is on the other side of you too. So it is anytime you can break down that barrier, it's crucial. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. I appreciate you asking those questions. Yeah, it is complex. I'm not saying that it's not complex because it is very complex, especially given the nature of healthcare and what we do every day. 
but we have to start somewhere. And that's that somewhere could be different for everyone. And that's the thing is tailor it to who you're working with, right? Find the solution that seems to fit best for you at the stage that you're at. And it does not have to be cookie cutter and it's not going to be cookie cutter, but just starting somewhere is really helpful. So yeah, so that's absolutely. What I yeah, we have loved this first episode. We certainly appreciate you listening and we have some amazing guests coming up to speak with us over the next few months here. Yeah, I really appreciate your time, Jess. Thank you, Becky. I appreciate your time too. We will see you at the next episode of the Leadership Pulse. Until then, have a great day. Thank you everyone for joining.